Well, today we're talking with Lynn Paul. She used to be in the New Seekers. You joined the group in 1970, didn't you, when you were recommended by Eve Graham, uh, who was with you in the previous band, wasn't she? she? We were in the Nocturnes together in Manchester, and there's quite a story behind that, but that will go in my autobiography when I eventually write it. Um, it's not quite as it's been written, but... Um, Yes, we, we did. Eve joined, and then I joined a year later. Now, along with the group members Marty Christian, Peter Doyle, and Paul Layton, uh, your first release was a Melanie cover, wasn't it? Yes. Look what they've done to my song, Mark. And that done even quite well in America, which is surprising. It did. Yeah, we had great management at the time. David Joseph was fantastic, and um, his big thing was that we we had to move across the pond and we had to make it you know make a name for ourselves over there so he worked damn hard to get it done and he did a big country to crack isn't it yeah it is massive and there's so many artists that that really deserve to be big over there but don't actually make it and uh, we were one of the lucky ones now it was 1971 with never ever ending song of love that almost got you to number one in the charts and then came the coke song which did yes it sold um over 28 million throughout the world it's um it's Something to be proud of, something to be proud of. It shows you the power of a popular TV advertising campaign, doesn't it? It's still in the uh, top 50, I think, or the top, even the top 10, um, because it was the first advert to come out and have a single attached to it and make so many sales. So, I mean, it was a, a wonderful feat for us. You know, it was great and um, such a success story for, for both for Coca-Cola and for the new seekers. And I think a clever thing that they'd done as well, of course, was there was every nationality on that advert singing, wasn't there? <laughs> every single one. It represented every single country, um, every single nationality. It was a well-thought-out commercial. And that, to be honest with you, I, yeah, I think it's probably one of the best ever because it, there's not been anything like it since, has there? No, there hasn't. I mean, even now I can still picture it in its entirety. You know, it was on yes. all the time, wasn't it? That's right. I can still see that young blonde lady that started the singing yes. on the top of the hill. I can still see her face. You know, and there aren't many adverts that you can say that. Perhaps the Levi jeans, um, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> yeah. Now, how many of our listeners know that you did release another Coca-Cola song some years later? I did, yes. 1975? Something like that? Yes, I, think it, I think it was 75, yeah. yeah. It was, it ought to spell a million, yes. How did that do? Obviously not as well as the original one, but... No, not as well. Um, do you know, I don't even know where it went to in the charts, Ian, but um, it did well. I was very lucky, though, because I went into the studios with Dave Mackay, who was also the New Seekers record producer, and I was so lucky because he brought, he also rang Peter Doyle, who was uh, a, a New Seeker, and who had that fantastic voice. I mean, he was the sound of the New Seekers, and um, he brought him in so, uh, onto the record, so it was it had him sound as I'd like to teach the world to sing, which was was very special for me for Peter to come in and do it, you know. Yes, 1972, chosen to represent us in the Eurovision that year, begs to the borrow, came second, night in Edinburgh. Oh, fabulous memories. Um, I mean, we stayed at the Caledonian Hotel in Edinburgh, and we, of course, we were just up the road to the Usher Hall, hall where it was being held, and um, it was actually the first time that we were inundated with um, fans outside, because we'd been in the studios on the Cliff Richard show doing six songs for the public to choose for six weeks, and we didn't realise that, of course, we were becoming more more well-known. And by the time we came out of the studios, there were fans all over Shepherd's Bush Green and everything. So, of course, when we moved up to Edinburgh, it was just exactly the same. And it, it was very unusual at the time to have a girls in a group and have fans trying to grab them and screaming at them and all that <laughs> kind of thing. But in as far as the contest was concerned, we had green rooms 
every country had green rooms in the Caledonian Hotel. And the one thing I remember very well are all the happy times we had after we did we had rehearsals. You know, we'd go to somebody's green room, and and it was very very pleasant, very lots of camaraderie about it. You know, there was um, it was a very very special time, very special time. You know, Remember who won? Yes, Vicky Leandros. She yeah. won with a ballad. I can't remember the name of the song. Come what may, the title was in another language. A fabulous song. It deserved to win. It deserved. One of the first records I ever bought was Beg, Steal, or Borrow. Was it really? Yes, it was. Yeah. But oh, I, loved it. I loved all your stuff. Nice. I even liked Circles, and that wasn't a big hit, was it? Well, do you know something, Ian? That's my very favourite song. Is it? Of all the ones that we've done, yeah. that's my favourite. Apart from one on the album, one of our albums, which, which is Perfect Love. And I love that song purely because of the lyrics. I'm very much a lyric person, so I love that because of the lyrics. But Circles was, as far, for the songs that we recorded, Circles was my favourite. always makes me feel really happy when I hear it. All my life's a circle Sunrise and sundown It doesn't get a, that, that much play on the radio, which is a pity, really. No. Uh, mind you, Ian, I have to say, the new seekers don't get that much play on the, um, <laughs> on the really. radio, so it's awfully nice that people like yourselves do play our songs, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Now, the group's second chart topper, You Won't Find Another Fool Like Me, featured you actually as a lead singer. You must be very pleased with that, Lynn. Yes. We had a meeting after the Christmas period because um, I decided that I wanted to leave the group and um, so I said to my mum, I said, I want to leave the group. I said, all I'm doing is doing an ring in the background and I'd like to do more. So she said, well, don't, don't say anything. Let them have the Christmas and then, you know, you can tell them afterwards. Well, we went to a meeting just before Christmas and David Joseph announced that Eve was leaving. So I said, well, I have to break the news. I'm going too. And in the contract, it said that any two boys could leave at any given time, but only one girl could leave at any given time. So they gave me You Won't Find Another Fool in the hopes that it would keep me in the group. But um, I'd already made the decision. So no, I, I left. But I was very pleased with the song and I was thrilled to bits to have the chance to sing a solo song. So it was great. And it did very well. Looking back in history, if you like, pop history, the New Seekers was one of the first groups that I can think of where they did feature different singers. I know the Partridge family done a similar thing, but I think they may have come after you, didn't they? Yes, they did, yes. So I, you were probably one of the first. Yeah, and they did feature each one. Because David Joseph said at the very beginning, although you're in a group, 
I am going to make sure that each and every one of you are known as individuals. And he did. I mean, he fulfilled his promise, you know. So, um, but yes, it was unusual to have different lead singers on. on the, the, I think that's a good idea, though, Ian, don't you? Without a doubt, if you look at the uh, the Supremes, I mean, Diana Ross was never accepted for the lead right in the original Supremes lineup, was she? Yes, she was only a, that's right. a backing singer. So sometimes, you know, if you give everyone a chance, they can blossom. And that's what happened with me. I mean, it's uh, because I hadn't had a lead on a single until then, and it was only really by defect the fact that I was going to leave, and um, otherwise I would not have had one. So it was, um, and it was the making of me, thank goodness, and it, it really boosted my career, you know, so it was fantastic. I was really thrilled. In 1973, you toured with Liza Minnelli, didn't you? What special memories do you have of that tour? Oh, well, lots that I can't tell you. <laughs> over, Keep over it for radio, the book. Which will uh, probably go in uh, my autobiography. But um, yeah. I learned so much from her, Ian, I can't tell you. She is the ultimate professional. I toured with her and I watched every single show. I didn't miss one of her shows. I either went out front or I stood on the side of the stage. But her stagecraft is second to none. She was just wonderful. And she was such a lovely person. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous she was one of us. I became very friendly with her. Sadly, I didn't keep in touch with her, but um, speak highly enough of her. She was wonderful. Made great memories. Working to great big, massive auditoriums as well, you know, big audiences. And we had a private plane that uh, there were 60 in the in the orchestra wow. and our management, her management. We had dancers and different pe people like that, uh, publicists, and we all traveled on one plane. And it, you can imagine what we got up to. I mean, <laughs> just use your imagination to the most. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to the book. That's what we've got to tell everyone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your involvement with Blood Brothers, the undisputed Mrs J of all time, Lynn. I know. Can you believe that? Thanks, Bill, saying that. Thank goodness. But, uh, yeah, I, I was blogging up and down the country doing the odd one-nighters, and uh, it was really soul-destroying. I mean, it was, you know, going somewhere for very little money, but just trying to keep your hand in. And I eventually got a job at the Cockney Club down in on Tottenham Court Road, and I was working there, and Carl Wayne came in. I don't know if you remember Carl Wayne. Yes. Um, yeah, fabulous, fabulous singer. Such a lovely man. And he came in, and he was watching the show, and we were great mates. And he said, why don't you audition for Blood Brothers? And I said, well, I can't act. I've never acted. He said, why don't you just try? Anyway, I went home, told my mum, and she said, right, Bill Tenwright, which I thought was hilarious. I said, what on earth am I going to say to Bill Tenwright? She said, just write to him and tell him he'd like to, you know, to be auditioned. I did. I got a letter by return post saying that he would love to see me. And three weeks later, I was standing on the stage at the Phoenix waiting to um, start rehearsals. And I cannot tell you what was going through my mind. I thought, what on earth have I done? Because, of course, I'd never acted. I'd done extra work and I'd done pantomime, but I'd never done straight acting. So um, he just put me in straight away and changed my life completely. Just gave me a brand new career at the age of, what was I, 47. Wow. My, my son was seven years old, so I was 47. You've been in quite a few different things since that time. Good reviews from it all, Lynn. So you've, you've proved it, really. Well, yeah, but I've, I've had a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> well. I've had great directors, especially Bob Thompson and Bill Kenwright. I mean, Bill Kenwright is right up there, my number one. Um, and I've had lots of 
very patient with me because it, it, I wasn't trained and they helped me a great deal. I've had a lot of help. Tell us about your culture club connection, Lynn. Culture club? Yeah. You mean taboo? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I went into um, taboo with um, Boy George. Actually, it was like a cellar and um, it was um, very small. Yeah, right in the centre of um, the square. What's it? Right slap bang in the centre of London. And um, as I say, I didn't know that he'd, that he'd changed it. But it was very small, very intimate. Um, I had a great song to sing in it, which was which he wrote for his uh, mum, Talk Amongst Yourselves. And it was um, it was quite good. I mean, I have to be absolutely honest, working with him wasn't particularly the best experience. But other than that, it was terrific. The show was great. And he's such a great songwriter. Yeah. Such a fabulous songwriter. I mean, oh my God, the songs in that show are fabulous. Just great. Now, Lynn Paul Autobiography on the Horizon. When do you think it would be uh, out in the shops, uh, Lynn? I don't know because I've never written one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything about it. But I'm very excited. Because, uh, there are so many things that I'd like to be able to say and so many stories to tell and um, so many things that have happened in my life that have not necessarily been the nicest. And I think, you know, perhaps if they read my story, they'll be able to cope with their own. Leo Sayer's been writing his autobiography for a few for years and years. And Jess Conrad... Oh, just Conrad's on volume two. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, good God, it's not going to take that long. No, I might have to be out as soon as possible. I mean, obviously, I mean, I want it to be right. Yeah. After Falcon, we don't want to just throw it together. No. Um, but obviously, we, you know, we want it to be out as soon as possible. We'll let you know. Great. Well, it's good to talk to you. And you then, bye-bye. Take care, bye-bye.